Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden. This is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources to remind you that you don't mom alone. In this special bonus episode, I've invited my friend, author, speaker, and counselor to girls, Sissy Goff. Today, we're focusing this little mini chat on how to raise worry-free girls. But honestly, the tips and the insight that Sissy gives help all of us live a little more worry-free. But before we get to that chat, let's talk about tween girls. I remember that being a challenging time in my life, and I don't feel like there's a lot of resources out there, but there's one I found I want to share with you because these tween years are such a critical transition period in the life of a young girl. Girls this age are changing in so many profound ways, which makes it a little more complicated to know how to connect with them. So if you have a daughter approaching the teen years, you might be wondering, how do you make sure you cover all the important things that your daughter needs to know? Well, I have great news. My friend, Courtney DeFeo, felt this tension as a mom of tween girls and created an incredible resource, the Treasured Study and the Treasured Journal. They're designed for moms and daughters to help them have meaningful conversations during these critical years, loaded with fun activities and engaging content. It's going to help you guys talk about things that matter to both of you, like identity and body and emotions and friendships and technology and faith. Now you can get the treasure journal and go through it alone with your daughter, or you could invite a group of moms and daughters to go through the same amazing content using the treasured study. Go to treasuredstudy.com to find out more about this interactive experience that both moms and daughters are raving about. Now, y'all know I don't have daughters, and by the time I probably have daughter-in-laws, they're going to be past the tween years, so I don't get to try this out. So you guys have to check it out for me. Go to treasuredstudy.com. All right, let's get to my chat with Sissy. Here we go. Sissy. Heather. (laughs) Here, let's do this. Let's help some moms today. What do you think? I would love that. So there are moms out there as their kids are starting school and there's just a lot of fear wrapped up in that. And then there's beyond fear, some real legitimate anxiety. And I know personally what that feels like as a girl. I was the girl that was scared, Um, but it's become a bigger thing. And it has become a bigger thing. You are a counselor. You work with girls. Help the mom realize she's not alone if her daughter's struggling with this. Oh, you are so not alone if your daughter's struggling. I mean, statistically now we're looking at one in four kids are dealing with anxiety to some degree, not necessarily clinical anxiety, but somewhere on the can't shake the worry to anxiety continuum and girls are twice as likely to feel it. So you are definitely not alone. And I would say really, I mean, I've been counseling now for 27 years, which feels crazy. I mean, aren't Um, you 27? That's weird. I know. I know. It is amazing. Um, Yes. Um, But when I first started, I, I mean, I saw maybe one or two, maybe one out of every 10 new family I saw was dealing with anxiety. And now if a child's under the age of 13, I mean, it's really nine out of 10, but pushing on 10 out of 10 now is dealing with that. And, and over the age of 13, it's still four out of 10 probably. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're just seeing it. It, The prevalence is crazy right now. And 
I'm seeing more anxious parents as a result than I've ever seen. And so you're Mm. sure not alone in it Mm. in either aspect. Mm. And there's this lie that nobody else is dealing with it because everything looks perfect on the social and no one's sharing that their child's struggling because it's kind of their child's story. Well, and that's the hard part about anxiety is it's so hard to recognize because the kids who have it, I mean, when I sit with little girls who are dealing with anxiety, the first thing I say is the girls I see who worry are the smartest, kindest, most conscientious, hardworking, try hard kind of girls there are and moms. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. both. Mm -hmm. And so those kids are performing pretty well in school Typically, the teachers adore them because they're leading the class and then they're coming home and melting down as soon as they get in the car because they can't take the pressure or it's coming out as anger and they're exploding and and the parent teacher conferences and the parents experiences don't match up. Mm, Interesting. And I like in your book how you you do draw that spectrum line, because I think that's helpful if we're using these words. For one person, it can mean something very different than for another person. Right. And so I like how you lay that out, how girls sometimes these days are labeling something anxiety that might be worry. Right. Kind of so a kind perpetual. Of ta- yeah. Talk through that a little bit before we get well, into it. Well, you know, we talked about this before, but I feel so strongly that I think girls in particular are diagnosing themselves so much today because they have these big emotions and they want something to feel like it describes how bad they really feel. And so that, you know, when we were growing up, you're a lot younger than I am, but when we were growing up, we (laughs) didn't know the words. I mean, especially we didn't know bipolar depression and PTSD, but I can't tell you how often I sit with kids who are diagnosing themselves with those very things. And so we don't want kids to define themselves by any kind of struggle ever. And so I was really strong with the publisher even about wanting to call the book Raising Worry-Free Girls, not Anxious-Free even, although anxiety is in the subtitle, but wanting to call it worry because it is a worry continuum. And and it's more about, I mean, like I talked about, that, that it's really smart, conscientious kids. And so, you know, I really have come to believe the older I get that any of us who are type A have a little baseline anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it's more about temperament and becoming type A is how we learn to manage it or control it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they're likely always going to lean that way. And so whether your child worries a little or a whole lot to teach her and him, you know, if David were here, he keeps jokingly saying he didn't want to write a Raising Worry-Free Boys book. So change the pronoun <laughs> and it works for boys, too. <laughs> Um, but either way, I mean, not just how do we help them after it's become a problem, but how do we help them on the front end if their personality leans that way a little mm. more directly? Mm. Yeah, that's good. And even just talking to them about that. Right. Yes. Right. Having, I feel like conversations with your kids can do a lot of the work that even hiding that in shame, if they're feeling those intense emotions and they just keep trying to stuff them down, right. that that doesn't help. anything from the, anything that is negative or emotion that we hide and it gets more power. And so it grows. Yes, it grows. And, And I think for girls in particular, it's really interesting how many girls I see of all ages who have anxiety, that the more we talk, the more it's really that they have their feelings hurt by someone or they're angry and they don't know how to talk about their anger. I think it's kind of a nice girls option sometimes for mm. it's not appropriate or it doesn't seem like it's okay for me to feel these other things. And so it funnels over into anxiety Interesting. or worry. Interesting. Huh. 
Very interesting, because I've always thought of anger as this secondary emotion, but the fact that anger could be primary and then they funnel it to fear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's probably a lot of layers to it. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but I think wherever it starts, if they're feeling any degree of anger, like you said, they're suppressing it. And so then mm. it comes out as worry because that feels like the only appropriate option. Wow. Okay. So how do we help them? And, and again, speaking that this is a spectrum and your child may fall somewhere on there and there's going to be professional health help on one extreme and medication and then right. a conversation may be enough. So how yes. do we help them? Well, I love that that's where you started. And I think that's definitely what we want to do because I think we're moving culturally. So in such a fast paced way that I think we sometimes don't have time to hear where they're really, where their hearts are. And I think we always want to do that. And if you have a child who worries, so three practical things that I would say that can be really helpful. One is, and and I talk about in the book, I break it down into how it affects her body, her brain and her heart, because really once the process starts, all those things really come online and she loses perspective in all of them. And, and that's kind of my baseline definition of anxiety is it's always an overestimation of the problem and an underestimation of herself. Hmm. And so when it starts, things go haywire. So we always want to start with our body because when she's hit that place, her thinking goes out the window, her rational thinking. And that, I think we talked about this forever ago on an episode, um, but her body chemistry really changes. And it's part of how God made our bodies right. to respond when there is danger. And that just, it triggers really a false alarm. And so her amygdala, which is the fight or flight part of her brain, takes over and it hijacks everything when she starts to get worried. And the when the blood flow shifts to the amygdala, it shifts away from the prefrontal cortex, which we know is what helps us think rationally and manage emotions. And so we've got to get the blood going back to her prefrontal cortex. So we got to get her to calm down first. And so, you know, for every girl, it looks different, every boy too. But when she starts to get worried, you know what it looks like often on her. And so to have her, the way I do it with girls is I have them draw a square on their leg because the drawing on the leg is actually a grounding technique too, which we're going to come back to. But with the square, with each line of the square, she breathes a different direction. So in with one line, pause in the corner for three seconds, out with the next. In with the next one, pause in the corner for three seconds, out with the next. So back and forth. And it just helps her slow down her breathing in a practical way. Of course, I had a little girl who said, I'd really rather draw a flower than a square. Is that okay? So <laughs> she can draw whatever she wants, a star, you know. Yeah. She's more of a creative one, a four on the Enneagram, okay, a little bunny four, you know. Uh-huh. I know, I know. That's uh-huh. what I was thinking. So we want to start with that because then she is capable of rational thought again. Mm-hmm. And, and it gets so irrational, which is why parents will say to me often, I can't reason with her. I can't talk her out of it. It's because that part of her brain's not working. Yeah. And so we want to start with calming her body down. Then I always tell girls, it's like the one loop roller coaster at the fair. There's something they get in their head and it just loops around and around and they can't get out of it. And so We want to do something with her brain. So we've started with her body. Now we want to get her brain to a different place. And so that's where something called grounding techniques come in. And and basically grounding techniques appeal to the senses, any of the senses. So that's why drawing the square or flower on her leg helps. Also doing things like one of my favorites is five, four, three, two, one, where they you know, you pick each of the senses. So basically what are five things right now that she sees? Like if you were to name five things you see right now. Me? Yeah. Uh, my computer, 
my okay. clothes, my shoes, um, a hanger. Okay. And a little plastic blue dog. Okay. A blue dog. That's fun. Okay. <laughs> Four things that you hear. Um, the you lights. just hear me probably. <laughs> I just hear you and I hear the lights <laughs> and hopefully nothing else because everyone's at school. Okay. Yeah. That's good. So, mm-hmm. so you get the picture. Four yeah. things you hear, three things you feel, mm. two things you smell and one thing you taste. Or okay. you can mix it up in any way. But basically, like you did when you were looking around right then, you weren't thinking about anything else. No, it took a thinking, lot of concentration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right. And mm-hmm. so that, so grounding, when you're anxious, you're basically spinning off. You're not thinking about what's going on in the here and now. And so grounding is like grabbing your feet and pulling you back down to the ground. Mm. And so that gets her thinking out of the looping thoughts. And then the third thing we want to do is help reinforce her voice. So we always want her to know she's stronger than her worries. And so to have a voice where she can talk back to the worries. So like that's why we call it in the book and a lot of people who work with kids call it the worry monster because that separates it out from her voice because we don't want her to think it's truth, which is what kids are going to think when they have voices in their heads telling right. them things. Right. So to separate it out means it's the worry monster. It's not her. And then even as a parent that you, when she comes to you and asks about the schedule for the sixth time that day, you can say, now, is that your worry talking or is that you? Because that separates it out. And so mm. then she learns to talk back to the worry monster. I, I was working with a family recently, and um, I tell kids that they need to come up with their own name for the worry monster. And this little girl decided she wanted to call hers Princess Worry because she was the queen, oh. which I love <laughs> that because she's stronger. You yeah. know, she's basically saying, I'm in charge and you're not. Mm. And so then they can shake their finger. They can stomp their foot. They can say, you're not in charge of me. I'm not going to listen to you. And so externalizing that voice helps reinforce that they really are stronger. And so, I mean, those are kind of the three first things I would do in my office, but obviously there's a lot of really practical things in the book. It's broken down into tricks and tips for her and for you in each of these areas, because it affects us too, as adults who love them, and we can fall into some of the same traps that they do. So helpful. And, you know, I know that y'all are listening and you know that we talk about Jesus a lot and we talk about Holy Spirit and Bible and um, none of those techniques were spiritual. They were very Mm. practical, but they fall in line with what God says. Yeah. And sometimes in the church, we can say someone's anxious because they don't have enough faith. Right. Mm, Right. So as you're entering these waters and it's kind of tricky and, you know, some people would say, oh, well, they just don't believe God enough. There's this element, right, that we're saying, "Okay, worry, you do not get to be the boss. I am bigger than you and my God is bigger than you. Right. But it's still like you're saying there is a neurological um, reaction going on and we can't deny that the anxiety is real. No, we absolutely can't. No. And if we were to try and step in in any kind of, which the book ends with in a real spiritual place um, in terms of how our worry can be affected by our faith. But if we were to step in and start throwing Bible verses at her or even (laughs) praying over her or something in that moment, that's not going to help her because she's not literally, like you said, neurologically, her brain is functioning in a way that she can't get there. And so all those things coming together feel really important for kids to me to help them work through it. Mm -hmm. They seem really practical. And I think 
for one of my boys who's gone through that, you know, getting him to a calm place and talking through what he's hearing, you know, and separating right. out that that's not your voice, even though he's convinced yes. it is. Yeah. And, and then just saying, well, what does God have to say to you? Because he is bigger. Mm. And what's yeah, his right. voice in this situation, I think then empowers them even more mm-hmm. yes. to conquer that anxiety and, and, and equip them with tools. All these things you're giving them are tools they can use when they're in a typical school day or as they go off and they're adults. And uh, I right. think it's so helpful, all the things you have in this book. Um, and I love what you said at the end, like thinking as parents and as a culture, the messaging we're giving kids about the lives God's given us. Talk yeah. to me about that so that we can can be careful on how we message the expectations of the life God gives us as believers. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately and and thinking about how it's almost like, you know, that old prosperity gospel, how it's shifted. And, and I think social media, honestly, is a part of it that we not only look like we're living our best life on social media, but we're saying that that's become this phrase now. And, and I don't know about you, but I think even in a given day, I live my best life, maybe five seconds when I'm (laughs) eating queso or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so the verse I really anchored the book with is John 16, 33 about in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And in this world, you will have trouble and living our best life. Those aren't the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's kind of like, how can we live our best life in the midst of the trouble? But I think kids, there's a real breakdown of what I'm seeing when I sit with kids of, I don't think they know how to integrate their spiritual life with their emotional life anymore, mm-hmm. because I think it's, it feels like two totally different things. And so how to say in this world, you're going to have trouble and we need to be talking about that. Yeah. And we need to be helping them understand that and that we get to take heart in the midst of that because of Jesus and what he's done for us. And so that's really where we're stronger. Like you said, that's what makes us stronger. And, and I, I, um, in the last chapter has all these verses because I want kids to be memorizing verses about fear and about worry that they can say back to themselves. Like you talked about kind of that sense of what does God say to me in the midst of it, of this, that I can arm myself with wherever I'm sitting in school, wherever I am. Yeah. Yeah. Acknowledge the feelings even if they seem negative and equip them and build them up to know that in Christ, they're bigger and they can yes, overcome. They can overcome. Oh, sissy. So much. And goodness. listen to Heather because she <laughs> always helps. Well, I hope y'all enjoyed this quick little nugget with sissy. If you want to hear the episode we referenced, you, I'll put that in the show notes and definitely check out her book. Um, such a great resource. I got a, sneak peek early on and I don't have any girls but like I said I am a girl with anxiety so it was super helpful <laughs> you're the appreciate best, it thank you sissy have thank a great day you. you too okay I know that was quick and I hope it was helpful and I know that some of you this is so on your mind all the time and you are dealing with some really hard things with your daughter and I am praying that you know you're not alone that some of the statistics Sissy shared would help you know there are lots of parents walking through this with their kids. I also want to pray for discernment to know when is it time to get professional help? When is it time to go on medication? So then you can deal with some of the underlying causes. We never shame anyone for seeking help or getting medication. Okay, 
I want to take a second and pray over all of us that are dealing with a world full of worries that we would know the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. Lord, I bring whoever is listening right now, I bring their worries, their real anxiety, their fear, I bring it to you and I pray that they would have a moment to release that to you, to confess it to you and to invite you in to embolden them and to grow their belief, their faith in you, that you do love them, that you do care for them, that anything hard in our day does not mean you do not love that when we experience loss, grief, true pain and hardship, that it doesn't mean you don't care, that you are present with us through that, that this world is a broken, broken place. And I pray that we can speak life over our kids who are experiencing real fear, real um, worries, God, that we can help give them perspective. And Lord, I pray uh, from the letter that Paul wrote, I pray that God himself the God of peace would sanctify us through this, through these hard circumstances that we become more and more and more like you, God, that through our whole spirit, our whole soul, our whole body would be kept blameless for you, that we would be able to rejoice always, even in the hardest things to pray continually. May we speak your word back to you and in little prayers as we breathe throughout the day, pray continually and give thanks in all the circumstances, that this is your will for us. I pray, Lord, that we could walk in the boldness that comes from you alone, from your spirit, that it's not because we are so mighty and strong, but that you are God, that you are the one who equips us and that we could communicate that back to our kids. I thank you, God, for Sissy. I pray for her book that it would have ripple effects of raising up a generation of girls who know who their God is and the strength that they've been given and that they can go and be mighty warriors for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thanks y'all for joining us on this real quick episode. We're gonna do a few more of these. I think this is gonna be one of our new things. Sometimes it's just gonna be me talking about a topic that one of you have asked me about and uh, sometimes it's gonna be a guest. So if you want to make sure you don't miss any of that, of course, subscribe to the show through your favorite podcast player. Um, but iTunes did not cooperate this week. And another way is I send out on Mondays, uh, just letting people know what shows are coming up and where I'm going to be and the latest info. If you want that, go to olaheather.com. Ola spelled with an H, just like heather.com. And you can make sure you stay connected to me that way. All right, I'll meet you back here on Monday chatting with Ruth Simons. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. 
He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.